0: This is Open Mic, a podcast by Centrifuge Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Open Mic, a Centrifuge Media podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B. And folks, thanks so much for joining us on another episode of the show as we continue to stoke some conversations and explore big picture topics in the live events industry and really catalog the technologies, the trends, the people, and the strategies that are going to set the industry apart moving forward. So as we explore today's topic, I want to make sure you're all tapped into some Centrifuge Media resources to help support some of the points we're going to make on the podcast today but also just to tap into our catalog of content. So make sure that you're heading to our website centrifugemedia.com Again, centrifugemedia.com You'll find articles, videos, blogs, case studies, and of course more episodes of the podcast on that site. And you can also subscribe to Open Mic on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Just hit that subscribe button and you'll have a full catalog of previous conversations plus notifications when we drop new ones. And there's plenty to talk about so you can definitely Expect more episodes here in the future. All right, let's jump into the core of the conversation today. We're in a pretty interesting place today with the state of live events after you know two years plus of disruption and ebbs and flows in public sentiment as well as industry strategy. And this is an oversimplification, but. Communications changed overnight in spring of 2020. Virtual connections and environments became a standard of operations rather than a nice to have or just a piece of a larger puzzle, right? And so the COVID validation of virtual events definitely proved that these methods can get the live event job done. There were a lot of successful virtual events that uh, innovated and pushed the concept of a connected event forward, and centrifuge media definitely played a role. There. But we wanted to pose the question Do virtual spaces have a place in the future of events as the long missed experience of in person reestablishes itself as the norm, right? Will they have a focused role? Will they play a hybridized role? We'll have to wait and see. And we're going to answer some of those questions here on the podcast today. So, with this episode, we're going to be discussing how virtual environments uh, were utilized during COVID uh, and before COVID as well, how they effectively replaced physical environments over the last two years, and then why we think they should be incorporated in live events in the future and what specific role we see them playing. So, I'm pleased to welcome our two guests who are going to help break down this topic for us today. First up, I want to introduce Sue. Suzanne Tudman. She's a 3D event designer with Centrifuge Media. Suzanne, great to have you on. How are you doing today?
1: Great. Thank you, Daniel.
0: Yeah, real pleasure getting to source your perspective today. I appreciate you taking some time. And of course, we're also joined by Mr. Steve Welch. He's Director of Creative Services at Centrifuge Media. Steve, great to have you as well. How are you? Thanks, Daniel. Doing great. Thank you. Yeah, looking forward to picking your brain on this. So, thanks again, Suzanne and Steve. I want to go ahead and jump in. You know, there's a lot to unpack here, and I really want to just open up the floor for your thoughts and retrospective analysis. But, what would you say was the core? reception from clients or industry peers on the concept of virtual events over the last two years right was there a general consensus or was it a, a kind of a mixed bag just depending on each event and its success what were your uh, what are your thoughts and what did you see
2: yeah so it, it was it was it's very interesting you know we came from a place before the pandemic where we were we were creating uh projects that were for virtual reality or augmented reality you know lot of training uh training type programs where participants would wear you know like an Oculus headset be immersed in a virtual world that was really cool and it was kind of a an added extra when you're doing live events but now we shift to everyone's working from home everybody's remote everybody has to essentially use their browser with a very small viewer window to communicate and so that uh that did change things up a bit and when we um when when we had to make that shift when live events were just out of the question and you know things things really kind of grinded to a halt clients were they weren't sure how long things were going to last they weren't sure exactly how they were going to communicate these platforms were you know they were they were in use but they weren't a necessity like they are now so there was that learning curve and um our company made the shift into Uh, fully, fully virtual event production uh, in about maybe April or May. So pretty quick. And our technique and our formula changed over time where now we were, you know, we were looking at instead of something like a WebEx or a Zoom. Now we were looking at like a full broadcast, what you would see every night, like watching the news. So the virtual events, uh, you know, they, they, they did, um, they did grow over time in terms of the production value but another cool part of that was, now we, you know, when we're out at a live event, we we have a set, we have a stage, we have uh, generally like large projection systems or LED walls, and now like how do we create that in in the virtual space? So Suzanne, uh, with with her background in in three D design and modeling, you know, she shifted gears a little bit. Now we were creating these virtual sets for. Hosts and presenters to 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 perform on, and uh, we treat them on green screen. It would be a seamless look as if they were in a studio. So I'm getting a little getting a little sidetrack there, but it's been a, it has been a it's been an inter, interesting progression over the, the past two years. You know what has worked well has been replicating um, things that people are used to in the physical environment in a virtual environment. And also doing it in a, in a custom way, so we weren't using like a cookie cutter platform or a generic type of of, uh, of space that uh, you know we'd have to work around. We were basically building these, these environments from the, the ground up, and Suzanne will cover more of that in a minute. But I think that you know we we really got a lot of of interest in just that 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 different that that different production technique and one of the questions that we had early on when folks were they were very curious about virtual events they didn't know how they worked and you know they were coming from these live events where there were also you know there were things like activities that were personal and you know social activities or cocktail receptions or awards dinners now it was how do we do that and how do we make them more like the actual physical events and you know the The obvious question is you can't totally, but we came up with some really great interactive and engaging ways to to bring people back together and to keep that communication going.
0: Well, just to back up some of those uh, sentiments, I want to highlight a few standout uh, statistics from the impetus of COVID. So I'll go ahead and toss them up on the screen here. But uh, back when... COVID hit in March of 2020, we saw B2B marketers have to make some big decisions, right? What are they going to do with all of these scheduled live events? Do we pivot or do we not? And what we saw was pretty overwhelming shift to live events, uh, or excuse me, from live events to, this says webinars, but I think it's indicative of a larger just virtual event replica or replacement for existing live events. We saw 49% say they replaced, Some 19% said they replaced most of their live events. Uh, Now, we also saw uh, different, I guess, versions of what those replacements could look like. So we've got this other statistic here that's a little more focused. Uh, The title here, share of B2B marketers reallocating their live events budgets to other channels. So we saw that Forty percent, like the other graph indicated, shifted over to webinars and digital events. We also saw content creation and other kind of SEO and social media focused campaigns try to replace the uh, marketing and maybe community building and networking that a live event was supposed to achieve. So I bring this up because I'm just curious to get your thoughts. Right on, those were obviously trends in 2020, but now we're almost two years out from that point. Are we still seeing those investment changes pan out in similar ways? Um, you know, are alternatives to live events being weighed the same way? I mean, what are your thoughts? And do you see this um, being a, a lasting trend or have things shifted?
2: Right. So I think, you know, we, we've had a couple of periods uh, over the last year where we've seen a shift to, you know, people starting to now begin to plan live meetings and then we've seen them pivot right back to virtual. You know, when del- when the Delta wave hit, we had a lot of customers that had already committed to live events in the fall of last year. Those plans changed. We had to back up. And uh, one example would be a, a client that we were working with. We were planning a physical experiential learning space. And, uh, and what I mean by that is we'll typically take, uh, maybe it's a ballroom in a hotel, and we will... Will create uh, an environment with props to make it to make it resemble another you know another area that may be meaningful to something like a patient story. Folks will enter. There'll be opportunities to learn information throughout. It's almost like a an exhibit. So that was off the table because now we were back to virtual. We were able to actually take those same ideas and build it in a virtual environment instead of a physical space at a at a hotel space. So you know that's one way that uh, we've been able to to kind of shift back and forth. I think that really the question was you know how are things how how are things evolving? Things have things have evolved greatly, and I think that you know what we're what we're going to see is that the type of virtual environment that we can create now is not just going to be reserved for virtual events. Moving forward into live or hybrid events, there's going to be some component of a virtual that's going to remain if it's for remote, uh, the remote audience that can't be at the physical location or if it's part of a pre communication or a post communication, uh, strategy, uh, surrounding the event. So in other words, imagine a, a virtual environment that has training information or other materials. It can, it can live on the web before the meeting and be accessed or it can live indefinitely on the web after the meeting as, as like an archival, uh, an archival hub.
0: Yeah, noted. And, you know, I think as we'll discover in our conversation today, a lot of those investment strategies, uh, even if maybe they pull back a bit, will have some role in a larger hybridized strategy that takes into account live virtual and other types of content that can be leveraged in those live or virtual events. So I want to get your thoughts then on how uh, virtual environments and kind of the the way that they've presented themselves and innovative have evolved. So give us your analysis of the field. Uh, Can you share how virtual environments have evolved in their use cases and in, again, some of their innovative features over the last two years?
1: At the height of the pandemic, we first started off with a virtual 3D set with an integrated Zoom wall. We designed spaces to transport you into a mountain cabin retreat, or we even did a posh New York City loft that was a pottery barn style. And then we incorporated a zoom panel wall, and they acted as the windows in the space, so you were able to pip in clients through those windows, or you're able to use a landscape background of anything you wanted. Um, we also composited a host on a green screen into the 3D space, and it worked out really well. And I think the clients and attendees really enjoyed these events, especially during the first part of the pandemic and nobody knew what to expect and how can you still communicate and engage people. So this was a really good way to start. And then as that's evolved, we've, you know, going into end of 2020, into 2021, we really needed to step it up and just make it more interesting and more interactive. So we created award sets, we did a newsroom style set and even a homey kitchen where we sent clients taco kits and they were able to watch a cooking demonstration in a virtual kitchen. So that was really cool. We also created virtual tours for attendees where they could walk through a gamified space, clicking on hotspots to display content and video. This was very well received and gave attendees the chance to interact and explore than sitting through a presentation after presentation. So most recently we designed a newsroom set and we sent green screens to each presenter We were able to composite each person into the 3D environment as if they were sitting at the desk together. This was our first time putting on a live virtual event using the technology, and I think it came out flawlessly. It was really interesting to see people from all parts of the world sitting at the same desk, being able to talk and communicate with each other as if they were right there live.
0: Well, then I'm curious if y'all can give us some examples then, too, of some standout pieces of content or maybe more specifically of 3D or virtual event environments uh, that proved to be you know, equally, if not more, engaging for end users over the last two years, right? Just, I guess, give us that grounded example so we can understand how that plays out in practice and where those touch points need to be to deliver an engaging experience.
2: Yeah, so... I mentioned earlier uh, the question from clients about how do we make this virtual event feel more like the the physical events from, you know, uh, the live days. And I think one of our, one of our greatest successes with virtual has been reproducing the feel of a poster session. So if you're not, if you're not inside pharma, you may not know what a poster session is. A poster session is basically uh, when it's, when it's in a physical location, It's essentially um, almost like a museum exhibit. There are posters uh, all around a room. Uh, These posters are are generally uh, describing some type of scientific breakthrough or new discovery or new technique. It's written by scientists or researchers, and those researchers are generally there at the location to present about their poster and also to take questions from the folks who are going to be viewing the posters to learn information. So, the folks that attend these events, they're very used to how that how that feels, how it works. Uh, going into a room, uh, it's something that they would you know they would they would recognize. We we're able to replicate the exact same feel in a 360 degree panoramic virtual uh, environment. And Suzanne, I'll let you uh, talk about the details of that project.
1: Yeah. So, going into a real live conference, we are trying to create that feel into a 360 virtual space. So when you walk into the doors, you're into the hotel lobby and everything is set up exactly how it would be in real life. So you had your help desk that you could walk up, you could have, you had your sign-in area. We even put pastries on the table just to give like a really nice, warm feel and welcome. We had a welcome video play as well. And then you were able to click on these hotspots And then you were able to go inside the main warehouse room. And this is where all the poster sessions were displayed. And you were actually able to walk from each poster, click on it, read what they had on the poster, view content, view video, and you could do this throughout. And I think we had about, what was it, 25 posters in this space. And then in the center of the room, we had a kiosk where you could go and ask questions and if you needed help. So that was a really interesting way to engage everybody and make it feel like you were physically there viewing these posters.
2: Yeah. And so around the room, as you approached pos- a poster, uh, you could you could uh, click a hotspot so to get a full view, full screen view of the poster because some of these were very detailed, and you could also launch a video presentation, which was the uh, the sci- scientist or researcher. Talking about their, uh, talking about their posters and giving you all the details. There was also a link to connect with the, um, the individual behind the poster, uh, to ask any questions. So it served, uh, you know, it served the same purpose as the physical and it looked amazing. I mean, all, all of everything created by Suzanne was completely photorealistic. It wasn't like avatars and that sort of thing. You really felt like you were in an actual space.
1: And the client, they wanted their space to feel like how their new office space was. So it was very industrial and we were able to do exposed brick walls and beams and interesting chandeliers and really tailor that space to give the feel of like what their new, you know, what their new interior of the company looked like.
0: I love that because it really signals the power of a connected experience, right? It is a a physical touchpoint that informs, you know, a digital resource that can educate the end user, or it's the other way around. It's a digital touchpoint that can turn into uh, something more tangible and material. So then how would you turn that into some learning lessons for folks out there, right? Maybe more specifically, how do you think this should impact the development of future virtual events, with the successes of those kinds of implementations in mind
2: so there's a lot that we can do within these these three 360 virtual environments and suzanne already alluded to to gamification Uh, you know another piece of this is because a lot of a lot of the purpose here is is about is about training and there are ways that we can incorporate like assessments almost as if it was like a visual uh, lms system so we can uh we can have folks travel throughout the space and they can be they can learn and then they can be pre- presented with these assessment questions and scored. And all of that can be timed. Uh it's you know, a lot of folks that attend these events are 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 in sales and so there's that that competitive nature anyway. So, you know, having these kind of you know assessments or or games, if you will, adds a little bit of fun to the learning activity, you know, Susanna also mentioned about how we can actually put uh, composited video in the spaces. Um, we've done we've done that a bit, and that really really adds to the the realism because rather than just launching a, a video and a viewer now, you're you're looking at someone who's standing in this in this virtual environment as if they're as if they're there.
1: Putting those composited people in the actual 3D space, just brought that space to life. You know, as an artist, I look at the space and you know, I feel like it looks pretty close to realistic. And then once you put act- an actual person in there, it just like brings it to life. And we created a space of a, it was a clothing boutique, and you know it was a, just a small-scale room, and then we were able to composite you know their full body inside that space as if they were standing there, working behind the counter, looking at clothing. And they were actually able to talk about, you know, their skin conditions that they had and, you know, the, you know, the problems they have, like with trying to find things with long sleeves and just learning all these different things about um, psoriasis. So, but it was just a very interesting way to display that, you know, than just reading a PowerPoint presentation.
0: Now, what about learning lessons for hybrid events or even just live events? I mean, I know these are all features of uh, what makes a virtual event still useful moving forward, but can we apply any of those learning lessons to a larger event strategy?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I don't think that a lot of the, the tools that we're using now are going to be put on the shelf when we return to full live events there's been a lot of things that have worked really great you know already already mentioned about like how virtual has a has a role in post event communication and also pre event communication i think that also there's going to be a, a remote component to live events from here on out you know in the past we've done we've done remote broadcasts for folks maybe international or executives that couldn't make the trip and if the client wanted to make that investment we we can make that happen. Now it's now it's just commonplace. So uh, we definitely see parts of um, parts of the virtual event formula uh, remaining as we as we uh, move back into live events. And, you know, the things that Suzanne produces,
0: that's definitely one one thing that I believe will that will carry forward. My last question for y'all then is a future-focused one. We're kind of already there, but uh, let's talk more about competitive strategies here, right? Uh, These live events are, regardless if they're in person or virtual, are going to continue to be critical for companies to... um, you know, stake their flag in the industry to make those important industry connections and to continue to develop channels that maybe suffered a little bit during the pandemic or that uh, need some trust reestablished, right? So how do you see this larger hybrid event strategy or even just the virtual component being a differentiator or a competitive edge for companies moving through the next year, right? What role will they play in some of those competitive strategies? I think the
2: differentiator too is that there there are platforms out there that are somewhat templated. You know, basically, it's a stock environment, and you see this a lot. You see these platforms a lot for the trade show industry, right? It may be a more of like a generic trade show floor, and you come and you drop your 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 booth graphics and your booth information in, and you're part of that space, but. You know, we're building things. We're building things from the ground up, custom for the customer. And so, in terms of a uh, competitive advantage, you know what I see is that we built we initially built these environments to replace the, you know the the act of getting together, learning with your peers, being in a space, and then, you know, after you've learned and retained that information, taking it, into the field and applying it. Now it's not so much that we have to do it. It's now we have a um, another tool that is going to provide learning develop learning and development, and also uh, content that can be accessed at any time in the future. An event is, you know, for the most part, a point in time. But having that, having the information available after the event, I think is, is definitely an, an advantage for the attendees.
0: Yeah. I mean, if that's really the reality of the space right now that folks are, you know, maybe still doing a lot of virtual events and they have staked their flag in that, uh, sort of omni-channel touch point to reach their network, but it's still just an online call webinar, you know, where everyone's just a tile on a screen, uh, or it's, you know maybe you get some kind of interactive environment but it isn't fully integrated and it doesn't drop Uh, you know, like Suzanne was talking about, that physical person in the environment to really humanize the space, uh, then it sounds like there's a lot of room for creative innovation and to use that as the competitive edge. So sounds like centrifuge media may be a more essential piece of the puzzle than folks realize. And so I hope with this conversation, our audience understands that the team here can help create that competitive edge and can continue to help set a standard for how your industry creates those virtual hybridized and connected touch points. So I think on that note, we'll go ahead and wrap up the conversation. So thank you again to Suzanne and Steve for your insights and perspective today. Again, we've been chatting with Suzanne Tudman, 3D event designer with Centrifuge Media, and Steve Welch, director of creative services with Centrifuge Media. Uh, Suzanne, Steve, if folks want to get in touch with either of y'all for more perspectives, or they just want to learn more about how Centrifuge Media can help them set a standard in their industry with events, how can they do so? How can they get in touch? Well, one way is
2: they can visit our website, centrifugemedia.com. And on the menu, you will see a virtual showcase link, which will take you to a 360 environment
0: that uh, will illustrate some of the things that Suzanne described. And you can also learn about our services. Fantastic, y'all. Thank you again for your time today. It's really been a pleasure. And I'm looking forward to more conversations on the future of the events industry. We'll chat again soon.
1: Great. Thank you, Danielle.
0: And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Open Mic, a centrifuge media podcast. If you like what you heard and saw today and you want some previous episodes, or you want to make sure you don't miss out on future conversations. Make sure that you're heading to our website. Centrifugemedia.com. Again, centrifugemedia.com. And make sure you're subscribing to Open Mic on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. I'm your host, Daniel Litwin, the voice of B2B, and we'll catch you on the next episode of Open Mic.